Hello, everybody. It's Zach and Matt here from Enrollify, and welcome to Second Look, your monthly briefing on the latest higher ed marketing trends that are worth keeping tabs on. Uh, despite some challenging internet issues uh, this afternoon, we are recording live from, I'm in uh, Wilmington. Matt is in the office in Fairfax, Virginia. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing well. It's been a while since I talked to you, Zach. I think there are a lot of good gold nuggets, though, to be had today. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for I'm excited for our conversation. Um, just as a quick refresher for those who might not be familiar, Second Look is the podcast segment where we aggregate and highlight the top trends featured in Enrollify's weekly newsletter, The Minute. And for those of you, again, who are, are joining us for the first time, Matt is the managing editor of The Minute, and he spends time every week scouring the internet for the trends that are most crucial for folks like you, enrollment marketers, people that are working in higher ed Marcom or enrollment management to be paying attention to. So Matt, we've got lots to talk about today. You ready to dive in? I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. Okay. So Kaplan's Brandon Busted, who was actually a guest that we had on the Enrollify podcast several months ago, uh, he wrote this awesome piece recently in Forbes where he argued that the industry's largest largest disruption won't actually come from Silicon Valley or or even coronavirus. He says that higher ed's largest disruption might just come from faculty. So I'm curious, talk to us a little bit about this piece, Matt, and what specifically about what Bustide said stood out to you. Yeah, so I, I'll ask you a question first, Zach. What, what do Udacity, edX, Coursera, Rosetta Stone, and Duolingo all have in common. You have an idea? They all offer educational content in, I think, all of them, asynchronous formats um, and are a new way to, to learn outside of sort of like the traditional college classroom. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Um, not the answer I was thinking of, but <laughs> they were all founded or co-founded by professors from the likes of Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, and James Madison University not from big tech or from Silicon Valley, which is mm. kind of interesting. Yeah. So while faculty can often be a source of resistance or uh, di resistance to disruption change, you know, they can kind of be uh, begrundle a little bit about change at times. They've also proven to be a huge driver of change. As industry insiders, faculty have what Busty refers to in the article as the acceptance advantage over change driven by industry outsiders. Hmm. So while you may not work with faculty who are leading the next big online learning disruption, they are likely leading change in the classroom and in the way in which they deliver education. I think teaching innovation has sped up thanks to the pandemic as well. So as an enrollment marketer, it may be worth keeping an open mind when it comes to new ideas from faculty and staying attuned to the changing landscape of education delivery. Who knows, a professor's unique online teaching style could become your program's newest value prop. I love this, Matt, because it's actually rare that we think about um, professors driving uh, technological change, especially with respect to 
um, marketing and sort of like course delivery. Obviously, these academics are doing remarkable research that um, absolutely drives changes in uh, a number of industries, or at least influences those change uh, those changes. But it's really interesting uh, here to think about actually leveraging faculty as a real asset to uh, to pivoting in this in this moment where so much of sort of traditional higher ed has been has been upended. So super, uh, you know, Brandon Bussey is just a, a, a character and absolutely somebody who's worth following on social media. He's constantly posting things that are provocative and, and thought provoking. So um, love that we featured him in uh, the edition a couple weeks ago and and great insights there, Matt. So Another thing that happened um, that's a little bit related to sort of like tech and uh, development of sort of uh, new online learning formats is an announcement that Zoom made. So a couple of weeks ago, they announced the launch of a new virtual events marketplace, which they called on Zoom. Very fitting. Um, and th- <laughs> this platform it will function as an event discovery and monetization platform. So it'll have features that allow the sale, the scheduling and promotion of events like cooking classes, lectures, music performances, and more. Um, so I, I'm curious, you know, what what's the angle here for enrollment marketers? I think there's a couple of obvious ones here, but uh, what do you think folks should be paying attention to with respect to how they might use on Zoom, or what should they just be wary of as Zoom continues to grow as a force? Yeah, I'll first just start by saying I feel like Zoom is becoming Amazon. They might just be on their way to taking over the world to some degree. <laughs> um, but you know, first and foremost, the the company is launching Zaps, and this is a line of new integrations with third party apps. So companies like Salesforce, HubSpot, Kahoot, and Box; those are just a few of the companies that are building apps that will really allow users to access information directly in a Zoom meeting or chat, webinar, or even phone call. So, you know, whether you're a higher ed marketer or enrollment manager praising or cursing Zoom's name these days, you should at least be curious about these new third-party app integrations and how they might make your life easier. From virtual open houses to one-on-one financial aid calls, these integrations should open up more possibilities, think in Zoom quizzes, feedback surveys, all while increasing ease of use and the information flow into your CRM and other tools. Yeah, this is super interesting. And I mean, I feel like every couple of years, there's like a platform that comes out that uh, starts as just an app of all. I mean, I feel like every software now, it's like you start up as you start as an app and like the goal is to like evolve into a platform. And if you don't evolve into into a platform like you you don't exist for very long and so it's really interesting uh because you know who knows but uh, one of the things i wonder is like was this even on their product roadmap like six months ago like before covid (laughs) i mean i'm sure at some point right but like the acceleration i'm sure and the need for zoom to to actually become something more than it is um has been so great so super interesting to see um how this continues to to evolve and how zoom um you know zoom has become a household name one of the things i like to tell people all the time like in my personal life is uh you know we knew about zoom and we were using zoom long before anyone had ever heard of them uh, or your average joe had heard of them um so it's interesting to sort of to sort of see them them evolve and i think the big sort of uh, takeaway for uh, enrollment marketers here is 
thinking about how do you, how can you better use Zoom for um, additional purposes than just, you know, a, a virtual interview or a virtual information session. Um, Zoom's not going to go anywhere. And so the sooner that you can uh, take advantage of uh, these app integrations and or thinking about additional creative ways to leverage the platform, um, you know, the, the more friction you're going to reduce for your users, for your for your prospective students, for your team. Um, so in, very, very excited to see sort of how this continues to to evolve and really, you know, what competition this brings in into sort of the industry specific event marketing uh, platform space, like the platform queues of the world, which is a, a higher ed specific product. Like how does the Zoom platform, how does, you know, on Zoom end up um, uh, competing with with the likes of these these more industry specific legacy apps? So really, really interested to see how that evolves. Yeah, I would, I would just add to Zach. I think Zoom, GoToWebinar, those are going to be part of the enrollment marketers tech stack for a long, long time yeah. in the future, like a long ways to come. Um, so to get comfortable with Zoom, GoToWebinar, all of those video platforms, it's going to be cr- crucial and ways to integrate that with your enrollment marketing strategy and other apps and platforms is huge. It's not going anywhere, um, safe to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting thing that you highlighted, Matt, uh, or at least one that I found interesting was this recent survey, this study rather that SEM rush did of 1 million keywords. And what they discovered was that a quote unquote, people also ask box, um, which many of us will recognize from our Google searches is actually six times more likely to appear on a Google search engine result page than a featured snippet is. So Matt, can you just help us understand, for those who are scratching their heads, what is a PAA box and why is this Why is this significant and or at least just interesting? Yeah, so PAA, it's an interactive search result from Google that displays a box of related questions or queries that other users have searched for in the past. And over 85, excuse me, 58% of the time, this PAA box appears right after that first organic search result. Mm. And search queries that, you know, start with the who, what, where, when, why, those trigger PAA boxes 86% of the time. Wow. So interestingly enough, SEM Rush's study showed that 74% of websites present inside that PAA box would otherwise not have made it onto the first page of search results. Hmm. That means that there's ample opportunity here for those less authoritative sites and pages to have a presence on the first page by making it into that people also ask box. And while we're still learning more about how to optimize content for PAA blocks, we do know that answering the search query, that who, what, where, when, why search query um, in your program's content or website page in about 41 words gives you the best shot when it comes to the overall word count and then making it into that PAA block. Fascinating. Do you know, Matt, if like one of the things I've noticed about featured snippets these days is when you click on a featured snippet and you're taken to uh, the, the page, it, Google will bring you down exactly to where that section is, um, where the featured snippet yes. is, and they'll, they'll even highlight it like automatically from a formatting standpoint. So it like you're, you can't miss it. Um, and right. which is, which is really, really interesting. Do you have any sense for whether or not that's happening with content featured in these PAA boxes yet? I don't know for certain. I would think the answer would be yes to that. Uh, I think outside the featured snippet, I've seen it in uh, a couple other 
form like Google uh, display result formats, but I know what you're talking about. It's, it seems like it's relatively new. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that is the specific sentence that Google has indexed, obviously, and yeah. then then uses to rank. So I don't know the, the sure answer, but my guess would be yes. So for folks who are looking to take advantage of this, a good place to start would be to figure out sort of like what are those kind of core questions that your uh, target audience are asking with respect to your programs or other uh, offers about your university or or graduate education if you're a a gem professional, um, and then optimize that particular, the answer to those questions, uh, the answers to those who, you know, what, where, when, why questions in about 41 words or so. And uh, doing sort of a, a beta test here, a good beta test could look like, how do you answer 20 to 30 of the questions that uh, folks are likely to ask about your program, you know, backed up by some good keyword research to ensure that there's, you know, at least some monthly search volume around those terms. Um, and then how do you answer those questions in about 40 words? So for the for those that are a little bit more uh, advanced uh, here that are listening to this and, and want to experiment with it, please do and and let us know how it goes. Um. Matt, I want to move on now and talk about reminder advertising and really the uptick that we're seeing in the adoption of, you know, strategy that has to do with retargeting and reminding people to complete an action that they had started. So what is reminder advertising and, you know, what stage of the enrollment funnel do you think that this is this particular strategy is is best suited for? Yeah, so I'm sure everyone's experienced this reminder advertising when shopping online, right? You go to add an item to your cart. You don't check out in the same instance. Maybe you click away to another uh, uh, web page or you just exit out and start scrolling on social media or something, but you leave that item in your cart only then to get an abandoned cart email or even an ad then pop up on your social media feed. Uh, from that from that uh, e-commerce site in which we were about to make the purchase. So yeah. this, again, is a form of reminder advertising, and it prompts your audience, which is typically in the consideration stage of their journey, um, with the message that the product or service you are once interested in still exists, right? You're still around. You're, you just want to remain in the forefront of people's minds. So this comes in the form of retargeting ads, those abandoned cart emails, even email newsletters to some degree, and relevant content. Those are all ways to remind your audience of, products or services that they've previously expressed interest in. And I think enrollment marketers, what how they're using this is they're using it as a reminder tactic in a number of stages of the prospective student journey, including the consideration and decision stages. So RSVPing for a virtual, virtual open house or virtual event, uh, starting an application, those are steps in the process that, in my opinion, merit several types of reminder advertising. And, you know, the, the bottom line is the goal is to stay top of mind as a prospective student um, comes into contact with your school, they need to come in contact with their brand several times, really, before making a decision about attending an open house, let alone applying or deciding to enroll. Yeah, no, uh, couldn't agree more there. And, you know, one of the things we like to tell people a lot of the time who are just getting started out uh, when it comes to any sort of digital advertising um, is, you know, most of us know that a, a Google display campaign is relatively cheap. So when you're launching a display campaign, um, you can typically, there, there's lots of great uh, resources and just kind of like basic math that will help you get an understanding of what sort of you know results um, from an impression standpoint, from a click standpoint, even from a conversion standpoint in some context, you can expect from a display campaign. 
Um, that said, one of the things that I like to say to folks is, look, if you have decent traffic to your website, especially to to a specific program page, I like to start with a retargeting campaign. So it's going to take a little, you know, while to to actually start the campaign. I think you've got to drop a little bit of snippet on these these core pages, and then uh, depending on the threshold, it's something like a thousand uh, visits have to happen before the campaign will launch. But this can be a very, very effective way to to dabble and, and really get your feet wet with um, display advertising because uh, what's going to happen is the people that are seeing these ads have to have come to your website. So as opposed to you popping up and um, showcasing your ads on a partner sort of like network site like a Forbes or, you know, in the Atlantic, et cetera, um, you're actually only targeting uh, people that have actually had some sort of interaction with your brand. So for folks who are sort of like haven't don't have tons of money for for paid search advertising or don't have tons of money for a traditional display campaign, but have been asked to run some digital ad campaigns using uh, the Google Display Network, a great way to get started here is by implementing some semblance of a um, reminder advertising strategy, which often, as you've so uh, clearly pointed out for us, Matt, starts with a retargeting campaign of some kind. Absolutely. Yeah. It's again, just uh, waving your hand. Hey, I'm still out there to prospective students because who knows what they came to your site for in the first place. Um, but again, you need to hit them. I think there's a study that I saw by, by Facebook about reach and ad impressions that five to six times is really the optimal amount of times that an ad needs to come in front of your prospective student for them to actually take that desired action of clicking or converting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Repetition is key. Um, so Matt, uh, oftentimes it's difficult for Google to produce accurate search results for uh, especially complex queries. It's hard to believe that it's hard for anything. Uh, uh, for, it's hard uh, for Google to do anything, but I'm glad to hear that they, you know, <laughs> don't have everything figured out yet. Um, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. But uh, right. <laughs> answers uh, to these queries can be buried deep in a web page and can get lost among the other content. So Google's latest technology actually allows it to index more than just web pages as a whole. So now individual pages from a, or excuse me, individual passages from a web page can be indexed separately. So I read this a couple times when you first put this out, Matt, and um, I feel like this is nothing short of a big deal. Um, so can you talk to us about what this change in indexing means and what folks might want to uh, take away from this uh, relatively significant update in how Google can make sense of content? Yeah, it's really an effort, I think, for Google to improve its results for those long tail keywords. So I'll first start off by saying that, you know, a passage in this case, it could be a particular paragraph, sentence or quote. And this passage indexing will help Google find answers to those sort of needle in the haystack search queries. Again, um, content that could get lost in the depths of, of a longer web page, for example. And according to Google, this new technology will improve 7% of search queries and the results across all languages. And the potential benefit to enrollment marketers here is that your school's website may have a better chance at ranking and surfacing for those long tail keywords and queries. So, you know, think queries that are posed by prospective students about 
program-specific application deadlines, financial aid, transfer credits, anything with kind of a long keyword tail intent. Hopefully, you should see um, some better surfacing and ranking thanks to Google's new ability to uh, index specific passages. Do you, Matt, have you read anything about whether or not from a formatting standpoint, there's something that you should do on the actual page to increase your likelihood that you might um, be able to be, that your passage might be the one selected for this sort of like, um, you know, more complex uh, uh, indexing? In other words, like, if you have, if you have a program that is, um, you know, a, per- a perfect sort of, uh, um, candidate for to to kind of win on a very long tail custom keyword or keyword phrase. Is there anything you should do with respect to formatting content on your page to optimize for um, for this update? Similar to how like there's a at least rough understanding of how to optimize your site content so that you have a chance at winning sort of that featured snippet. Uh, spot on Google. Any any insight there yet, or, or still kind of like too early to tell? Too early to tell, I would say. And again, this this ability to sort of index a particular passage doesn't necessarily mean that your site will rank for a featured snippet. Uh, I, I think it's just the ability of Google's indexing its robot to crawl and better consume bits and pieces of a page instead of looking at a page as a whole. They could look at uh, a particular paragraph as a whole or a particular passage and claim that as a whole as opposed to your your page as a whole, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so I'm not sure if there's a particular word count, um, a particular like um, HTML tag or anything that would really benefit you in this case. I think there's still a lot to figure out. Uh, but to my understanding, it's just a new way of Google really being able to index your site in a more piece-by-piece format. So yeah, so in other words, too early to tell whether or not there's some uh, great SEO benefit that could be garnered from something like this. Right. Well, great. Um, we'll have to circle back on that as as uh, we hear more. But uh, speaking of site optimization, uh, I'm interested to talk about uh, structured data and its growing importance. So you talked about this uh, I believe it was last week or the week before in the minute. So can you just give us a, a quick crash course on what structured data is and, and why you think uh, it's important for folks to care about? Yep. So structured data is an organized and standardized way of communicating information about your web page to a search engine. While structured data isn't necessarily an SEO ranking factor, there are a lot of benefits to adding it to your site including things called rich results and Google's knowledge graph. So starting with rich results, these produce rich snippets, and these look like supplemental bits of information that are associated with your site's search result listing and can help improve click-through rates. Google's knowledge graph can help your brand achieve what's called the knowledge panel, and that provides more brand visibility and authority in that that knowledge panel is oftentimes located in sort of the right margin of the Google search engine results page. I like to think of structured data as the, the Cliff's Notes or Spark Notes version of a website. Huh. You know, it allows search engines to quickly understand the purpose and goal of your program page or financial aid page, for example. And that structured data provides easily interpretable information to search engines, to those index robots that comes with the reward of really enhanced brand visibility at the end of the day for your school uh, and, you know, in that search engine results page in the form of those rich results and that knowledge panel. Wow. Lots there. And, um, you know, I think that 
Um, I, I love the analogy of structured data being sort of like the, the spark notes version of, your, of a website. I think that's super helpful yeah. from as a framework for thinking about how to craft uh, content, uh, how, how it actually works um, in a larger context. So uh, wonderful analogy there. Thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, painting that for us. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> so, you know, moving away from sort of, um, uh, ranking content and how site content is actually structured and sort of moving into a new player in the analytics space, or I should say a new player or an old player with a, a potentially new product in the, in the analytics, uh, uh, space, Microsoft has announced a new free, what they call behavior analytics tool. Um, that they've dubbed Clarity. And this is uh, sure to compete with the likes of, of a Google Analytics. So Matt, can you talk to us about this new tool and uh, what we can expect from it? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm pretty excited about Clarity, at least from what I've read so far. So at its core, um, Clarity is a new tool that provides insights into how users are interacting with your website. So it includes things like engagement metrics, website performance data, and, and other analytics that you might be accustomed to within Google Analytics. Um, but this new GDRP, GDPR excuse me, compliant tool from Microsoft, it includes other things, too, that Google Analytics doesn't have, like website session playbacks mm. or heat maps and also this insights dashboard. So I think Clarity could be a great complement to any enrollment marketer's tech stack, especially because it includes those features that Google Analytics doesn't currently have. I think those free session playbacks and heat maps are really cool and could be a game changer for enrollment marketers that are looking for quick wins and quick ways to optimize the website pages and also identify those you know high drop-off areas in their website. Any way that they can sort of visually see where there's friction on a web page, they should be able to see that within Clarity. I love, um, I love this, and I'm really excited to see how folks uh, end up using it and how it uh, goes from sort of like a launch uh, standpoint. And if there are any of our listeners that have uh, that plan on testing out Clarity and or have already done so as a part of a, a beta, um, would love to kind of hear what your experience of it has been so far. I love sort of the uh, the recorded site session, uh, uh, website session playbacks. Anytime we're working on a site for a client and we we've used tools like Hotjar or Lucky Orange to help us do this. There, there are a myriad of tools um, out there that that do this, but uh, it's super interesting because so much of the time when you're working on a website design or a website development project, uh, you have so much context, and so you're you're coming into that project with one sort of frame of reference to, and that that's the frame of reference through which you decide how your nav looks and what CTA colors you pick and how many fields you, you know, uh, include in, in your, your contact us form or whatever it might be. And what's super interesting every time we've done this, uh, for a client is you realize, oh my gosh, it's not intuitive to go and scroll, you know, take your mouse and, and go to this part of the website or, oh my gosh, who knew that the double nav dropdown was this big, you know, point of friction for folks. So if folks, um, this is somewhat tangential, but if folks aren't using any sort of heat mapping software or, or session playback, uh, software, I encourage you to do so. There are some that are, uh, very, very, very affordable. 
Um, and this can be a game changer in helping not just determine sort of like for your marketing team where content should be placed, but I think that this can be a huge uh, asset to folks that are trying to communicate with faculty members why it's important to structure content differently on their program pages, giving them sort of like a, a, some data that actually shows how users are interacting with their page and the points of friction that they're encountering can be instrumental in convincing them to uh, aggregate content uh, and organize um, uh, content in a in a different format. So uh, love this love this tool and really interested in seeing how folks use it. Absolutely, same here, Zach. I can't wait to get my hands on using Clarity and just having free access to those hot drawer type uh, heat maps is going to be huge. Great. Well, hey, last question. Uh, not even a question. Sorry. I'm used to interviewing people all the time. We're asked, uh, yeah. lot, asked them lots of questions, Matt, but um, a comment that is then coupled um, with a question. So Talkwater and HubSpot recently partnered to interview something like 70 global experts on their predictions with respect to social media for the next year. So obviously we've seen these remarkable upticks in social usage since the pandemic and lots of folks are wondering, hey, what's going to happen in 2021? Um, social media networks are, have been in the news for for some time now um, uh, with respect to security and data and monitoring and whatnot. So it'll really be interesting to see how that all plays out. But what I'm more more interested in is a better understanding of how marketers are going to use social media um, over the next uh, 12 months and what we can learn from these, these predictions on how these networks will continue to evolve and what we can expect, especially from a lead generation standpoint. So Matt, can you talk to us about a couple of the findings that were especially interesting to you? Definitely. So these are all predictions and they're kind of just more food for thought. Um, but the predictions say that conversational marketing will drive sales, that old school marketing like podcasting. I can't believe they use the example of podcasting. I guess it is <laughs> sort of an old school tactic, uh, but that will become the new quote unquote new um, and messaging will become more mimetic which it means just more meme-like. Got to love the meme-like content, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, all in all, the research concludes that 78% of consumers want brands to focus on four Cs, community, uh, cleanliness, contactless, and compassion. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how that all directly relates to enrollment marketing, but what enrollment marketers should pay attention to are the predictions about conversational marketing and how that will drive sales or you know, more enrolled students. And perhaps it's time to explore building a chat bot. And quick plug here, I wrote a blog recently and where I, where I compared four of the most notable players, of the most notable chat bot players in the space. Definitely take a read if you have time. It's a great post. Um, it's a great post. Thanks, thanks. You may want to think about, though, allocating more resources and time towards improving your social media page and its management and also ensuring that you know, admissions professionals are equipped to handle conversations with prospective students. I think there are going to be a lot more conversations that originate on social media platforms. So to be able to handle those, you know, with your team and with a chat bot potentially, I think could be huge for 2021. Couldn't agree more, Matt, and really interested to see how conversational marketing as a strategy continues to be aggressively adopted in the higher ed space. So as always, uh, thank you, sir, so much for your time. Thank you for all the work that you do to help 
bring our listeners and our subscribers um, a synthesis of the trends that are worth keeping tabs on. So thanks, man, and have a great day. Absolutely. You too, Zach. Thanks for having me on. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.